In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. God allows good fruit to come from a sound tree. And he often insists on the danger from false prophets who will lead many to spiritual ruin. In the Old Testament, there are many references to bad shepherds who wreak havoc on the, on the people of God. The prophet Jeremiah denounces the impiety of those who prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord, lead my people astray with their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all. And such unreliable guides soon made their appearance in the bosom of the church. St. Paul calls them false brothers and false apostles and warns the first Christians to be wary of them. St. Peter calls them false doctors. In each era also, there are undoubtedly many teachers of error. They have sown bad seed abundantly and have been the cause of confusion and ruin of many souls. And so when St. Matthew, our Lord, warns us to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We're told to beware of the wolves that come in sheep's clothing. But scripture doesn't tell us who are the wolves and who are the sheep. That's one of the reasons why we need the magisterium of the church, the teaching power of the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, to point out the right paths to us. And that's one of the reasons why it's a very good idea to read the documents of the church as they come out, the encyclicals of the Holy Father or the apostolic exhortations, it's a great abundance of truth and love and beauty in those documents and also good seed that can produce good fruits in our lives. The ravenous wolves can inflict great harm in our souls. And people who go to them for light, they find darkness. They seek strength and instead find doubt and weakness. And our Lord points out that both the true and the false messengers of God 
will be known by their fruits. The preachers of false reform and doctrine bring nothing but separation from the life-giving vine stem of the church. They bring the bewilderment and perdition of souls. And so our Lord says you will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns? Do figs come from thistles? So every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. A sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And so our Lord wants us to be prudent and on our guard against these lying teachers and deceitful doctrines. It's not always easy to detect, detect them because sometimes bad doctrine comes with the appearance of being good. And that's one of the reasons why the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a wonderful book to have at hand. So we can check easily what is and what is not the teaching of the church. The tree is sound when good sap flows through it. And for the Christian, that is the life of Christ himself, personal holiness. And nothing else can take its place. We should never separate ourselves from him. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we're close to Jesus, we become effective. We learn how to be joyful, to be understanding, to love. In short, we learn how to be good Christians. St. Teresa of Calcutta was asked once by a journalist, did she really think that her efforts with the poor in Calcutta were going to solve the problem of poverty in India? And her response was, oh, I'm not called to be successful. I'm just called to be faithful. Each of us is just called to be successful, to do the particular thing that God has asked us to do be in this particular place, in this marriage, in this family, in this job, this particular apostolate. Our Lord will bring the fruits. He will take care of that. When we are united to the vine, the fruits come. And so we can learn, therefore, how to be joyful, be understanding, and to love. To learn how to be good Christians, even when we don't see the fruits. St. Maria and Friends of God says the life of union with Christ necessarily transcends the limited sphere of the individual. And this to the benefit of others. This is the source of apostolic fruitfulness. The apostles, of whatever kind it may be, must be the overflow of the interior life, of a life-giving union with our Lord. 
and this life of intimate union with Christ and the church is maintained by the spiritual helps common to all the faithful, particularly obtained by active participation in the liturgy. Second Vatican Council, Apostolicam Actuositatum, that decree says laymen should make such use of these helps that while meeting their human obligations in the ordinary conditions of life, they do not separate their union with Christ from their ordinary lives. But through the very carrying out of their everyday tasks, whose performance is God's will for them, they actually promote the growth of their union with him. And so contact with Christ in Holy Communion, in the Mass, the true centre of the Christian life, in personal prayer and mortification, which permit this contact with God. They show itself in the specific way that we set about our daily work in our dealings with others, whether they be believers or not, and in the way we carry out our civic and social duties. The sap is not seen, but the fruit certainly is. Christ should be seen in us in the way we behave, in our joy and serenity, in the presence of sorrow and difficulties, in our readiness to forgive others. He'll be seen in the demanding way we fulfill our duties and in our exemplary sobriety in making use of material goods, in our sincere gratitude for the help we're offered in the little things of daily life. if we neglect this intimate union with God, our apostolic effectiveness will be reduced to nothing. The lives of the people we habitually come in contact with, the fruits will become bitter and unworthy of being laid before God. St. Pius X declares, but among those who refuse or neglect to consider in their heart, there are some who do not conceal the consequent sterility of their souls, but excuse themselves, offering as a reason that they are given entirely to the cares of ministry, to the manifold advantage of others. He says they are deceived miserably because unaccustomed to speak with God, they lack the divine fire when they speak to men about him or impart the principles of Christian living. So that the gospel message seems to be lifeless in them. At best then, it's not unusual for their advice to be merely common sense, with no supernatural content to it, 
They give their own doctrines instead of the gospel doctrine. If we neglect personal piety, real intimacy with God, we shall not perform the deeds God expects from every Christian. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If our heart is not in God, how can we can hand on the words and the life that come from him? And so we could take a good look at our prayer. Do we have a set time for it? Are we punctual? Do we really try to overcome distractions? Do we pray in the most suitable place? Do we ask Our Lady, St. Joseph, and our guardian angel to help us maintain a lively personal dialogue with God? Do we make at least one small resolution each day? We can also examine our efforts to preserve the presence of God while walking along the street or while at work and at home. And we can be definite about what needs putting right or improving in our life. So we can ask our Lord to help us to make such resolutions. It doesn't matter if it's small, but it should be definite. Pope Leo XIII wrote just as the man who excludes God from his life becomes a diseased tree that will yield bad fruit. So a society that wants to exclude God from its customs and laws causes countless evils and inflicts the most serious harm in its citizens. A state from which religion is banished can never be well regulated. And it the system and the phenomenon of laicism appears with the desire of supplanting the honour due to God. A system of morality based on transcendent principles is replaced by merely human ideals and norms of conduct. And these inevitably end up as less than human. God and the church become purely internal matters of conscience. And the church and the Pope are subjected to aggressive attacks, either directly or indirectly, through persons or institutions unfaithful to the magisterium. And so Pope Pius XII says not infrequently, as a result of laicism, the individual citizen, the life of the family, and of the Commonwealth as a whole, are all removed from the beneficent and wholesome influence of God and his church. Then, day by day, the symbols and symptoms of those errors, which corrupted the heathens of old, 
declare themselves more plainly and more lamentably. And all this in parts of the world where the light of Christian civilization has shone for centuries. That sign of secularization is visible in many countries, even in those of long-standing Christian traditions, that process of secularization is making inroads. The decline is apparently invariable. The symptoms all too plain, divorce, abortion, an alarming increase in the use of drugs, even by children and young people, violence, contempt for public morality. If God is not accepted as a loving father, man and society inevitably become dehumanized. His laws are established for the protection and preservation of that human nature by means of which the individual is to find his personal dignity and reach the goal for which he has been created. With the evidence of these bitter fruits before our eyes, we Christians must respond generously to the call we have received from God to be salt and light wherever we may be. However limited might appear the field of activity in which we live our lives. We have to show by our deeds that the world is more human, more cheerful, more honest, cleaner, the closer it is to God. Life is the more worth living, the more deeply it is penetrated by the light of Christ. And so Jesus constantly urges us not to remain inactive, not to waste the slightest opportunity of giving a more Christian orientation to the people who surround us, to the environment in which we live. When Christ is passing by, we're told, what can I do in my family, at school, at the university, in the office, to make God more actively present there? We ask St. Joseph for fortitude of spirit in order to bring Christ into all these human realities. With faith, we see the example of his life, which gives us a picture of Joseph, Joseph as a remarkably sound man, who was in no way fearful or frightened of life. On the contrary, he faced up to problems, dealt with difficult situations, and showed responsibility and initiative in whatever he was asked to do. And so with God's grace and the intercession of the Holy Patriarch, we can make a constant effort to bear abundant fruit wherever God has placed us.
When God created us, he made us brothers and sisters of one another. We were created with both familial and social needs. God also ordered the supernatural world in a complementary fashion. The Holy Trinity has desired to save all men by means of human instruments. The divine plan is accomplished when we carry out a lively personal apostolate in the middle of the world, in the course of our normal occupations, in the home, the barber shop, the hairdressing salon, the office, the bank, the parliament. In the apostles exercised by the individual, said Pope John Paul, great riches are awaiting to be discovered through an intensification of the missionary effort of each of the lay faithful. Such an individual form of apostolate can contribute greatly to a more extensive spreading of the gospel. It can reach as many places as there are daily lives of individual members of the lay faithful. The spread of the gospel will be continual since a person's life and faith will be one. Likewise, the spread of the gospel will be particularly incisive because ensuring fully in the unique conditions of the life, work, difficulties and hopes of their brothers and sisters, the lay faithful will be able to reach the hearts of their neighbours, friends and colleagues, opening them to a full sense of human existence, that is, to communion with God and with all people. Each member of the body works for the good of the rest of the body. We should seek to keep alive the light of faith in others. This is the greatest good that we can offer. St. Teresa of Avila says, whenever I read in the lives of saints of how they converted souls, I seem to feel much more devout, more tender, and more envious of them than when I read of all the martyrdoms that they suffered. This is an inclination given me by our Lord, and I think he prizes one soul, which by his mercy and through our diligence and prayer, we have gained for him, more than all the other services we can render him. We have to take a good look at our apostolate and see that we're applying all the means to bring that fruit. A fruit which our Lord describes as fruit that will last. Each one of us has to have a great desire produce that fruit that will last, which ultimately is a fruit of prayer and sacrifice. In the course of our apostolate of bringing people to Christ, we'll develop a sincere concern for their temporal needs. There's an awful lot of ignorance, misery and loneliness in the world. 
our persevering friendship with our Lord can serve to fill our hearts with his mercy. We'd be inspired to share whatever we have, talents, time, material goods, joy. If certain problems are beyond our power to change, at least we can contribute the warmth of our friendship. So we don't abandon the sick, the handicapped, the downhearted, the overwhelmed. We join together with other Christians and people of goodwill for the sake of the common good. We have to put aside any causes of separation or conflict. And in doing so, imitate the first Christians. They astounded the pagan world with the testimony of their mutual love and solidarity. Even in the face of stark poverty, they practiced the new commandment. The new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. True love can overcome any obstacle. We are called to extend the reign of Christ. Our Lord replied to Pilate's questioning, my kingship is not of this world. Later in the interview with the Roman procurator, our Lord says, I am a king, for this I was born. Although the reign of Christ is not of this world, it has its beginnings here. The reign of Christ extends so far as there are men and women who know themselves to be children of God, who are nourished, nourished by him, who live for him. Christ is a king who has been given all power in heaven and on earth. But he governs like one who is gentle and lowly in heart. His rule is to serve others. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. His throne was a manger in Bethlehem, and then was a cross on Calvary. He is the ruler of kings on earth. This privilege is the proof of our faith and love. The first person to formally recognize Christ as king was a condemned criminal. He captured our Lord's heart with that humble request. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so this man was able to grasp the real meaning of Christ's kingship, even though it was the object of merciless ridicule from the clamoring mob. His faith deepened as Christ's divinity became increasingly obscured. And so St. Ambrose says the Lord 
always grants us more than what we ask for. The thief merely asked to be remembered. But the Lord said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The essence of life is to live with Jesus Christ. And where Jesus Christ is, there is his reign to be found. And so the book of Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And so we could resolve to make our hearts conform to the will of God. We can ask our Lord for his blessing and all our efforts to extend his kingdom through our apostolate of friendship and confidence. St. Maria in Christ is passing by says this is the calling of Christians. That is our apostolic task, the desire which should consume our soul, to make this kingdom of Christ a reality, to eliminate hatred and cruelty, to spread throughout the earth the strong and soothing balm of love. And if we are to make these ideal ideals into a reality, we need to turn once again to Our Lady. Mary, the Holy Mother of our King, the Queen of our heart, looks after us as only she knows how, are told in Christ's passing by. Mother of mercy, throne of grace, we, help, we ask you to help us compose, verse by verse, the simple poem of charity in our own life and the lives of the people around us. It is like a river of peace, for you are a sea of inexhaustible mercy. And thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.